p.m. to 2 a.m. A whole bunch of local people, famous people, dropping in, making cameos. Should be a great show. Uh, top of the park tomorrow, Thursday, the 21st, the Lucas Paul Band with the Ragbird. Uh, Lucas Paul Band at 6.30, Ragbirds at 8, and the movie is, Oh, Brother, Where Out Thou? There's a party for the Camp Take Notice guys from 4 to 6 p.m. on Thursday, the 21st. They want you to show up and, and, and have a little barbecue-type food and, and let your representative know that Camp Take Notice should be allowed to remain there. And uh, the Merry Wives of Windsor is at Nichols Arboretum this weekend from uh, 6.30 out in the Arb, running about doing Shakespeare outdoors. I think that's all I'm going to give you right now because it's about that time. i got to tell you, events information is brought to you by Current Magazine, Ann Arbor's Entertainment Monthly. Uh, available at many locations around town. Events can be heard daily in the morning at 1.30, 4.30, 7.30, and 10.30, and also at 1.30 p.m., 4.30 p.m., and 8.30 p.m. right here on WCBN, FM Ann Arbor. Right now we'll turn down the, the Star Trek and turn up the Thoreau, because uh, Living Writers is right here. It is a characteristic of wisdom not to do Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Amy Hempel. Amy, welcome. Thank <laughs> you so much. Welcome, welcome to Living Writers. It's, uh, Thank you. It feels like we've been running around the studio after that little intro. Yes. It? <laughs> it's very energizing. <laughs> um, uh, this this uh, this conversation is taped November twenty first two thousand eight, um, while Amy was in town to to do a reading at the university. Um, so before we go any further, Amy, I'm just going to read your bio from the back of your collected stories. The collected stories. Um, Amy Hempel has published her acclaimed short stories in magazines such as Harper's, GQ, O, The Oprah Magazine, and Vanity Fair. She teaches in the graduate writing program at Bennington College and lives in New York City. Now we can spend so much time filling in the yes. rest and yes. how it impacts your writing okay. life. And um, because it's funny, I was uh, looking up some facts about you online and, and it listed all these places that you were teaching. And I didn't mm -hmm. know if those were a current or how you would possibly juggle um, not only Brooklyn College, but the new school, Bennington, well, Princeton. Brooklyn College is new, um, running the graduate fiction program there, but only since fall. So leading up to that, uh, I taught some semesters at three places at once. Uh, for example, Bennington, Sarah Lawrence, and Princeton was one semester, and I just scrambled Wait, all over the did place. Did you just then drive, keep yes. driving? Mm-hmm. I like driving. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the um, so some of those um, predilections or obsessions surface in in your stories. Oh then yes, just, indeed. Mm -hmm. Just naturally mm -hmm. then. Um, well, how um, how often do you get the question that about how close to your your true life is the fiction that you produce? Because that must be is that is that so tiresome, or is it something that you don't mind because the it, facts a, are in there, but uh, not what the truth behind them are? Or yeah, 
it's a frequent question, mm-hmm. and I understand why it comes up. But what I often do is answer with a question of my own, which is, why are you asking me that? Mm-hmm. A- and I don't mean it combatively at all. Oh, it's come just, on. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> okay, combat. let's go. <laughs> what else do we have to do? We've got an hour, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> Mix it up. Um, we'll play no, some but, more marimba. <laughs> <laughs> but I ask because I do want to know, mm-hmm. why are you asking? I, mm-hmm. I mean, if I say, oh, yes, it's, it's hugely autobiographical, does that make you like a story more or less? Mm-hmm. Are you disappointed? Um, I'm not sure what's behind the question. Right. Unless it's a voyeurism. Kind of voyeurism. Mm-hmm. So I do expect the question, and I, I get it often. Mm. And that's and that's often that's why I thought I'd I lead with it. Yeah, just to get um, it out of the way. <laughs> but but uh, maybe a nicer answer is a lot. Mm-hmm. But. Yes, I borrow rather heavily from my experience and experiences of people I know. But the cool thing that happens in writing fiction is that you can't stick to the way things happened, even if you try. Right. That you just find yourself embellishing, um, changing, altering without even needing to work at it. Right. Which I think, like, it seems, I don't know if that was in your intention when you began writing the, your, the Harvest. Yes. But that seems like a way of maybe mm-hmm. even answering the question or show, or, or, or showing the steps. Yes, exactly. And um, that's what The Harvest does. And then I realized when, um, after I wrote the second part of that story, which is, which seems to be the real version, the true version of those events, I I look back at it and I recognize all the things that, without even meaning to, I changed to make it a little better or a little different. And then I thought, well, it's an infinite exercise. I could write version after version after version. Um, I thought recently, since I wrote it so long ago, I thought recently I could go back and write a version from this vantage point no, so many years after, and all the things that are somewhat related to that, uh, the accident, the, the story of the California at that time, and um, and it isn't. It could go on forever. Right. And because there's so many things that are acting within it, because mm-hmm. even like when the the um, the speaker is coming down, going to the beach for the first time in right. shorts. And then so then you get these shark facts. And then that's yes. what becomes like the most like the anchor at the very end. Opening right. Outward or something. Right. And, and the events which were entirely true of the prison breakout at San Quentin. OK. And, you know, what happened in the aftermath of that and. uh so and like Jonestown, like there's and obviously Jonestown. Oh my God! I mean, but that's that's that story is is reflective of of San Francisco and and Northern California at a particular time and all that was happening. Um, I mean, it's staggering to think back on mm. all that happened then and there and and the, um, the ramifications of it, the consequences. Um, it was a big time to be there, and it seems like it's it's it seems like it's marked your your writing um, significantly. Is that because mm-hmm. the the 
bulk of like the first two collections were from coming directly out of the time out west because you were born in Chicago, right? Right, and now you're mm-hmm. you're rooted in New York City, so mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. with wheels, <laughs> obviously yes. goes without yes. saying. But California, northern and southern, mm-hmm. uh, for me, everything. Uh, as you said, the first two books come almost entirely out of. Uh, those places and some of those people, and it's still, um, uh, it's just immensely influential. And I just the other night I saw the new film Milk about Supervisor Harvey Milk, uh, who was assassinated with Mayor George Moscone while I lived in San Francisco in the late seventies, and it's it's a, really a first rate film and just brought it all back to me all over again. So um, I still return to it. Why did you leave the West then? What was the... Twofold. One, um, I wanted to write, and I thought, here's the kind of misguided thinking. Um, I I thought to write, you had to work in publishing. (laughs) So not true. (laughs) And publishing was located, the industry, in New York City. So I thought, oh, I'll go to New York and get a job in publishing, and then I can be a writer. (laughs) You know, huh? Um, so that was the going to part of it. But also, I lived in California in the most beautiful place I'd ever seen, and terrible things kept happening to me. And it was it was a really odd experience to be in such a gorgeous place and have awful things happening all the time. So, um, and then my best friend died. That was the capper. This is the girl I... I wrote, the story yeah, I wrote my first one. story about, and um, I didn't even go to her funeral. As her funeral was going on in um, Southern California, I, I was flying from San Francisco to New York. So that's how, um, how connected it all was. So you didn't drive that time. <laughs> Not that time. But every other time. Just about every since. other time. Or Amtrak was right. very convenient that way. Oh, I wish Amtrak was not seemingly on its last legs. And it is. So. And isn't it? Yeah. That's too bad. But that is um it's so that so so the story that you were referring to Amy was um uh, the in the cemetery where Al Jolson is buried. Yes, and so that's probably since we're hitting all the ones that you probably the most talked about things in yes. Amy Hempel's life. This would probably be the next thing mm-hmm. since it's mm-hmm. the most extensively one of the most extensively anthologized stories of the last quarter century. That's what's that like to have some sort of that as part of your uh, that or and that story especially since it was for. Jessica, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, it was the first was story. The first, oh, it was that I wrote. The f- yeah, literally or literally. The first story no, that was literally a whole story. Or no, the first literally story the first short story I wrote, and it makes me think of um, uh, Amy Tan once told me uh, of a terrible thing. Somebody came up to her a reading and said. Uh, 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 when the Joy Luck Club came out, this person said. You made a big mistake writing your best book first. <laughs> what a horrible thing to say. It was, I guess, some kind of weirdo compliment, backhanded no, or not. No. I don't know, but I was... People are demented. But but um, I've, I've gotten versions of that. I've gotten variations of that. But it, with, but that, oh, okay. with that story, and, and 
I think it's just kind of cool to have the first thing you wrote. Uh, you know, to, if people know about me, it's because of that story and that it was the first. I, I like that. Mm. Um, but it came from a, an assignment in a workshop with Gordon. Yeah, Lish. yeah. Yes. So I, I I give him a lot of credit for so, making me look there. And, and and what and what was it? Was it like write about something you don't want to write about, or, or it was write your worst secret, the thing. You'll never live down the thing that dismantles your sense of yourself. Mm. And and there it was. I failed my best friend at, at the moment. I absolutely couldn't fail her. Um, I re- I've actually, Reasons to Live was the first collection of yours that I, I was given to, um, mm. given by a friend who actually worked at the Elliott Bay Book Company out in Seattle. Oh. I, I think you must have gone through um, with a reading there or something. No. I guess it was like in the 90s. No? No, I've never no. been there. Oh, well, somehow Trevor Coop stumbled upon it and then it became this thing where it, it really changed like... Um, seeing how you were writing even at that time like in 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 the compaction that you were Uh using that Uh i believe was there from the start rick moody in his great introduction says that it's something that you've it has become even more present in your your later work but it seems Mm -hmm. like it was there from the very beginning and and that i think that means that many poets are connecting to your work more than makes me very happy to hear that and and can and um hopefully we can um, talk about yes. what your your current your oh, current work sure. now and that which you which you said was leaning towards the prose poems being concerned. Oh yeah, I mean I've long wished I could write poetry and I I've studied it and I read it all the time and I can't because whereas in fiction your basic unit of construction is the sentence, which I do understand um, very well. Thank you, but the line in poetry. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know how you break lines. I, I understand when I see it done. Oh, I see. To create that effect and for that rhythm, etc. I cannot make that transfer to doing it myself. So, um, but I do bring the concerns a poet has to sentences, to stories, and so that's what I mean. And and I I am liking writing the short shorts. More and more. I'm, I, I never left them, but um, I do feel it as a kind of return to it because I'm, I've done one after another now, about five in a row fairly recently. And um, and I thought, well, let's just go with it. Let's just keep doing these short shorts that are – some of them are more like prose poems. And, and so and, – and also Rick Moody says that your, your production – and I guess if you look at – the space, like the when the books have come out, mm-hmm. you're you're very you work Slow. intensely. <laughs> Slow is the word you're looking for. Okay, thanks, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Amy hmm. Hempel here, doing all the work in this conversation. <laughs> Not at all. Um, uh, but but so how when you're when you're producing these, mm-hmm. do you feel like it's it's they're coming they're, they're coming becoming themselves their own universes quicker or is it something where it's it's just takes just as long? Sadly, as not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Every bit as slow going as the uh, longer stories. It's just I'm slow, and I've just stopped even worrying about it. I think that that's a good way to be. We're, we're gonna like. 
we're gonna have slow slow week or get hallmark on that national slow day slow down week, um, yeah. this, this, you're listening to living writers um amy hempel today in the studio uh we'll be right back broken down Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, uh, Hugh Stimson, the intrepid engineer, <laughs> and Amy Hempel, the intrepid writer. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we, that song is not by accident that Hugh pulled that out of the, the vast collections here in the, the basement of WCBN. Um, why? <laughs> it's my favorite song. And a friend made me a tape that is Al Green singing Jesus is Waiting over and over and over, nonstop on both sides of the 90-minute tape. I think each side must be 90 minutes or something. Anyway, um, and I have driven cross-country uh, listening to just that. I never tire of it. Uh, it has this hypnotic kind of incantatory quality that just I don't tire of it and I'd, I'd rather listen to it certainly while driving than almost anything else and I did title a story a driving story uh, after this song Jesus is waiting Jesus is waiting uh, and then I flip it at the end so that uh, I think it ends uh, with the narrator driving home uh, where Jesus is waiting or isn't. So kind of standing it on its head in my small way. Because <laughs> you, you've got to think like the the paths to, it's either the path to complete serenity or the mm -hmm. path to complete madness at that point, right? And yeah. you know, that is no small feat actually come to think of it, making a tape right with um, yes. because it's not like now where you could just call upon it you'd have to it would be very oh. labor intensive i'd imagine right yeah yeah it, <laughs> it, it wasn't easy and it took uh some real devotion to stick around for every ending so that you could quick set it up again and backtrack <laughs> and get it going again and um uh yeah it, yeah it certainly it it makes me conscious of time Mm -hmm. Really, having passed when you talk about the technology with the technology, music, yeah, it? yeah, and I and I love how many times Al Green says thank you in the song, and and then I th thought later, oh, maybe the kind of counterpart would be playing uh, James Brown 
You know that song, please, please. please. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. He was looking for trouble. <laughs> Well, he's laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, so now I'm like, I'm actually now in the Al Green. I feel like I've entered into Al Green. So that must be part of the driving, too. When Uh you are you ever constructing um, is driving one of the ways that you actually sort of uh, you manage to clear the mind so that something from your subconscious wells. up And it's and it's a tool for writing as well. I always hope that will happen. And sometimes it does happen. And and it, it does seem that that time, that kind of time, that extravagance of hours and hours, um, especially on easy, easy drive, you know, like I eighty a straight shot across, you know, or and not on beltways, not or, on beltways. So that's the kind of driving where you do have to watch what you're doing, but you don't have to really think about it, and. Um, the story Jesus is waiting um, derives largely from uh, a composite of several of those kinds of long, long, maybe 15, 18 hour drives. And um, it's so it's so good that you call them drives instead of hauls or <laughs> drives. They're it's just drives. Yeah, they're drives. Yeah. I mean, nobody's making me do it. Mm. You know, I choose to do it. So it's a way of finding peace of some sort. And avoiding flying, which I'm still deeply phobic about. (laughs) Did you ever take the class that, I mean, to go back to the fact in in that there's a a character that says, I'm afraid, it's a wonderful line. That's why I just think it sticks in my mind where it says, what's your greatest fear? And instead, it's when I finish this class, I'll still be afraid. Yes, the fear of flying class. And I did take one in San Francisco many years ago taught by two pilots and um, and again the problem is that it deals very successfully with the rational fears uh, one has about planes and altitude and such but it doesn't address the irrational fears which is the real core of which it. is the core of it so mm-hmm. I, I it was interesting to do but the fear remained so I wonder if you had your pilot's license, if that would erase it. It would probably help, because I'd have some control. But no, but, n- but no, no sense in spending all the time up there. <laughs> I don't no. know. I'm going to let this go now. Yeah. Gonna, we're going to move on. <laughs> okay. We're going to move. Um, Jim Shepard and Ron Hansen were, were here um, just a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about oh. you. So your ears must have been burning. Oh, my God. And, um, and we were talking about like, Unleashed, um, yes. the book of poems that you, you guys Jim and I did. Uh, edited. Well, you, it was a project you started. Yes. Um, uh, what, was, what was your dog poem? Because he could, can you remember it? Because he could remember his and 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 Ron went, remembered his was a, a, a Villanelle. Villanelle. Yes. Um, I now barely remember spot. mine. Isn't that funny? It was wait. It was a haiku. Um, me writing the short shorts. I have one of the shortest poems. Um, the rain washed his paw prints from the garden. Oh God, that's all I remember. <laughs> but um, oh, I know. Uh, the rain washed his paw prints from the garden. Ice cream would help in a cone. But Jim, <laughs> Jim and his wife Karen wrote the maybe the second shortest, but the most often quoted poem in the voice of their overweight yellow Labrador birch that went, 
You're going to eat that. You're going to eat that. You're going to eat that. I'll eat that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Do you have any other ideas about projects to do with like the the dog speaking again? No, we felt we felt we did it. Felt like you met that challenge. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that is great. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting um, last night when you were you were talking about being given the assignment uh, to 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 write with the subject or the theme of Mm. Twilight Zone Mm. and and how it 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 you you managed to morph it into something that you you did care about which was fin- almost a dream yeah, wish a wish fulfillment dream of finding the missing dog and in fact jim shepherd uh started me on a, a long story in my last collection by um issuing a uh, an assignment or he asked if i would write an essay for a book he was putting together uh writers on a, a favorite movie and I said, oh, sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, maybe I'll write about The Uninvited. And two years after the due date, I started work on it. <laughs> but it, it came out as a short story called The Uninvited. Um, so I I thank him for that, though I, I, I did not make the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow it seems like he doesn't. He probably doesn't. He did, I don't think he held it against me. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, with the dogs, uh, I, I, I also, well, love dogs and mm. seem to write about them. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you felt, um, what was it about them? Because, you know, like Pablo Neruda, um, he has the, the wheat or these, mm-hmm. these things that he keeps drawing upon. It's almost like a touchstone. Or, yes. So dogs seem that way for you oh. in the writing. Oh, yes. And, and probably will always be. Um, and um, I mean, the the thing I've been doing for about 13 years, uh, where I put most of my time in addition to writing is into working with uh, at a guide dog training school. And um, I have two Labradors full time and then various fosters that um, my girls are in the brood stud program. So the dogs I have now are bred and their puppies become the seeing eye dogs and just about um, a couple weeks ago I tracked down four blind people who got my dog's puppies as their guides and it was it's one of the most moving conversations I'd ever had and one fellow said um, these dog his dog his new dog had uh, had walked him down the aisle of a church when he got married and this was a dog I'd held in my hands when he was one day old. So it was, you know, wow. that was very moving. Yeah, these dogs are, are, are there for every important moment, like That's getting married true. or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and actually getting you there. Right. <laughs> Quite literally. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And, so, and so you have all the, these puppies, you have various... Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. I almost said it's litters. I almost said batches, like as if batches were cookies. Yeah, they're certainly not. <laughs> there cookies. is yummy as cookies, <laughs> litters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that so. But dogs in the in the writing, it's something mm-hmm. that um, is it is it because it's a way of talking about um, a connection? Because well, let me see. How can I um, let me frame it this mm-hmm. so it's not mm-hmm. so um, broad? Um, 
it's interesting in in the in your short see very short uh sh- so i'd say short short sure. um in the animal shelter mm-hmm. and this is from the gate at the gates of the animal kingdom right, right. um it's it's interesting because the 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 speaker is uh, talking about every time you see a beautiful woman, someone is tired of her. So the men say, and then um, and then we go to the animal shelter mm-hmm. within the mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. space of this, and at the end, but there is seldom an adoption. It matters that the women have someone to leave, leaving behind the lovesome creatures who would never leave them had they once given them their hearts. That book, by the way, that second collection at the Gates of the Animal Kingdom um, originally carried uh, an epigraph uh, from a poem by Vicki Hearn, who uh, died a few years ago, much too young, but was a brilliant um, um, animal trainer, dog and horse trainer, as well as a poet and essayist. And she wrote Adam's Task, Calling Animals by Name, and many other uh, books about animals. But um, the epigraph was a poem of hers called, I think, Interview, and it was just a single, uh, it was two lines, Q and A, and the question was, um, to, to Vicki, the question was, what are all those horses doing in your poems? I mean, what do they stand for? And the A answer is, horses. They stand for horses the way I stand for you. That was Vicki. You know, I remember reading that. Do from, you? Yeah, mm. From that book, um, yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? She was that's... one of the great early champions of the pit bull in this country, and I had met several of her, of hers. Um, and we can talk about that in a moment. And the way, the way, the way I, but it, but just to 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 go back to that for just a moment, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the the way I stand for you, and so in a way, that's what the the way these dogs are are mm-hmm. are present. Yeah. Because they're the they're the um, what you can rely upon in some way exactly in 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 these all all the stories that's right you know you don't mm-hmm. go many pages without one <laughs> um, and I I for one I'm glad um, you're listening to Living Writers today on the program we have Amy Hempel um, we've been talking about her latest the collected stories all in a group and there's new ones on the way and we're gonna get to hear one I'm T Hetzel we'll be back. Talking about you got a frame Help me, help me, help me. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Amy Hempel is in the studio. Thanks, thanks again for being here. Amy. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. Um, so we started at the the top of the program. We actually we started to um, uh, go towards your your current work and talking mm-hmm. about the move towards the the short short. Short, short, shorts, um, right. <laughs> uh, and and you you're saying that, and and I think that you're right that that's a short short is the same as a prose poem. Sometimes they, it, they have so much in common. It's impo- But what I love is that people can argue about it, mm-hmm. and that it's nothing and is do. really set. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so I think that actually makes for, um, like it's great that they're they exist and that people because sometimes mm-hmm. people are so sure of things and trying to cata- oh, categorize I them i hate that it's like who are you to say <laughs> you know this is a story too there's room there's room <laughs> it's because it's is it about people's um like why why do we have to meet people's expectations exactly or we fulfill don't. them we do not <laughs> Um, I mean, there's more to prose poems than that, and maybe we'll talk about it, but may we hear yours yours first, Amy? This is one that um, I wrote uh, for a friend who at the time was very, very ill and happily is better now. Um, This is called Sing to It. At the end, he said, no metaphors, nothing is like anything else. But he said to me before he said that, make your hands a hammock for me. So there was one. He said, not even the rain, he quoted the poem, not even the rain has such small hands. So there was another. At the end, I wanted to comfort him, but what I said was, sing to it. The Arabian proverb, when danger approaches, sing to it. I said, no metaphors, no one is like anyone else. And he said, please, so... At the end, I made my hands a hammock for him, my arms the trees. Thank you. I might have left out a line, but I don't <laughs> think it matters. I'm trying to conjure this here at the, at the moment. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, just for um, the radio world, um, Amy kindly just wrote that from memory. Um, <laughs> some of it. <laughs> so that when you when you next see it, there might be some additions, but that's because, it, but that was, but that's, and that's what I think we need to do more of too, like uh, absorbing the work so that you can say it, right? Mm. I'm guilty of that. I don't know. I, you know, you, well, you heard be, me hesitate at one point yes, and yes. I was thinking, was there another line there? I don't think so. Maybe. Uh, anyway, uh, but this is the most poem-like short short I've done and and uh, I I'll try to do more I'm trying to do more kind of along these lines well it seems to come naturally like when you say this is the most poem like like what are you aware of what changes you made to it to achieve that distinction the repetition uh, certainly the way uh, I wrote it out I didn't write the lines to the right-hand margin. You know, I played with it looking like a poem, but I couldn't tell you if it is. So It is. Thank you. Okay, it's a poem. <laughs> Damn right it's a poem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we settled that. 
<laughs> What's next, right? Okay. <laughs> I'd like to show you my novel. <laughs> mm. Damn right it's a novel. <laughs> that will never happen. <laughs> well, did you feel pressured into writing Tumble Home or was that? No. No, okay. <laughs> I was lucky in that I never had an agent or an editor say what many do say even today which is yeah 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 you write stories but but wh where's your novel because novels sell and guess what there are any number of terrific debut story collections out there yes coming out and so i never understood telling a writer who did one thing they had to do another to get published and and luckily I, I just didn't have to have have that happen. Again, because it's a different it's it's a different it's completely vehicle. Different. A whole it's different completely animal. different. Yes. Um, the novella I wrote, Tumble Home, um, I I wasn't trying to write a novella. Uh, I, I just knew with the very first sentence, um, oh, this is going to be a long thing, a long thing. What is the first sentence? It's not the first sentence as it oh. appears, oh. but it's a little ways in. The, something about the trees were all on crutches. I know. What are the chances that I'm going to see it? <laughs> oh, I see. The trees are all on crutches on sawed-off braces of dead wood notched into Y-shaped crooks for support. Yeah, I wrote that line, and who knows why. I just thought, oh, I won't get out of here anytime soon. <laughs> and... and that was the case. So, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about Tumble Home too, Amy, mm -hmm. with because this is the, I think the only story in the the collection that that begins with an an epigram yes. as well yes. uh, by Sharon Olds. Yes, and and um, so why? Do we, what would you like read, to it? read it? What, and why? It's from the Sharon Olds poem Wonder. Um, I would have traded places with anyone raised on love. But how would anyone raised on love bear this death? I mean, typical Sharon Olds can say in those four short lines what it took me a novella to say, in effect. But um, she's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite poets and just never disappoints. And I just find her so insightful as well as... Um, such an amazing conjurer of uh, images, language. So when you so when you choose to have a a piece mm -hmm. here right before the novella begins, yeah. like what is it? Like why? What does it mean yeah. mean to you putting it there? Because because then it's it's interesting because it becomes like the collage of things, but that's a two part mm -hmm. collage. Then mm -hmm. instead of, oh. I just remember feeling so strongly that. She had said it in this beautiful, sort of wrenching way, in these few short lines, that I think I put it there as not just an acknowledgement that she had done this thing I was going to try to do in a longer form, but that um, I used it as a signal to a reader. Here, you're going to be here for a while if you read it to the end. Here's a way to read it. A signal. Yeah. Lovely. When, um, it's just so interesting when you think that that's the, si like, that you, that you don't choose signals for other things, 
But maybe because it was different. I had not done something this long before. Um, I don't know that I would do it again. Yeah. Um, like, and it's risky if you use something that good by somebody else at the beginning of yours. It's like, okay, <laughs> now let's see what you can do. Well, and, and especially know? when it's right there on the same page because mm-hmm. it works differently. That, that um, uh, Vicky's Vicky at, at the beginning. It had its own it was, page. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually, so it's quite separate. So it, it really yeah. functions. But maybe writers are the only ones weird enough to really be looking at those subconscious levels probably (laughs) probably probably yeah but poets in general are are so important to me writing and teaching i always teach um poetry with in my fiction classes how do you do that um i'll often use narrative poets like sharon or uh certain narrative poems by contemporary poets always um that just give such good uh illustrations of of um distillation and the power of images and um metaphor and humor you know if you use poems like poems by dean young tony hoagland for example james um, tate james tate but i mean look at the title of uh the tony hoagland collection what narcissism means to me yeah. <laughs> the riot. <laughs> it is great. Mm-hmm. It is, um, so, um, so you value humor. That's mm-hmm. obvious from mm-hmm. reading um, and all of your stories, even the stories that are the most heartbreaking. And and so, is that something that is just um, something naturally that you you do as as a human being? Like that's how you function. And so oh, that, of course, yes. is the way Absolutely. it appears in the writing as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it always helped me get through awful things and I've always just put a premium on it and always been drawn to people who are funny Um, and uh, I did spend many many years in the 70s in San Francisco going to comedy clubs four and five nights out of a week Um, and and my friends were stand-up comics and um, that was what mattered to me, and, and I learned so much. This is long before I was ever writing, but I learned so much about inflection and timing, and it really was useful later trying to write something that was hopefully funny. Because you'd hear the same act, you know, people would do the same act basically night after night, and some nights it would it would work, and some nights it would just go flat, and it would be a, just a simple syllable difference, you know. Ugh. What pressure, really? What pressure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does, yeah. With yours, it it seems like it is. It is always so funny, but I think, but that also makes it. I think. It's it because it's so close, it's close so close up to what is so, unfunny. Yes, and the one underscores the other, and and you mentioned Jim Shepard having just been here. He's he's, he's the writer I show my work too to find out if the funny stuff is funny you know because he's about the funniest person I know and I figure if it gets past him <laughs> it's okay I can trust that it's not a, not really lame you know what I mean right. <laughs> so um, he's one of the arbiters for, for right. that. oh that's well good a good trusted mm. a good trusted mm-hmm. soul um, 
do you have is that do you find like that's a way of working now like where um it's like a not necessarily with the writers that you are neighbors with mm-hmm. but but more sending things out or has it always been that way or, or you mean in showing yes yeah, showing work people. and first um, readers or well gordon lish was my first reader for many 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 years and um uh, but but for I, how I, long? Because he was uh, your first workshop, right? He, well, and, he's really the only pr- teacher I had in, for, for fiction. I just worked with him over and over and over again, and met workshops at Columbia and then privately. So he was, you know, my reader, my main reader for a very very long time. But also, you know, more recently, I'll run it by say, you know, Jim for what's funny. I'll run it by a poet friend for he does it scan for the for the. The rhythms, the, the acoustics, the you know, does it, does it sound like, uh, you know, does, does that work? And so different, I'll, I'll compartmentalize in that way these days. Do you ever get conflicting feedback? Well, I guess they're addressing different things. They wouldn't addressing think different to say things. this certainly has no Because rhythm. I think it can be too joke. conflicting, too confusing otherwise. Right. And, right. you know, I don't know what, you can't discern, you can't take it apart. So I look... This person for this thing, this person for that. Yeah. It's so interesting that you worked with Gordon Lish for for so long, because mm-hmm. that seems like something that is unusual now. Yeah, not so uh, much. It used, it was more common many years ago. Another way that you, you're unusual, Amy. Ah, good. Good. <laughs> and that's a full-on compliment, not a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I much prefer those. <laughs> Well, this is Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be we'll be right back with Amy Hempel. Talking about you got a frame. Listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. This is Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today on the program, I've been so lucky to be speaking with Amy Hempel. Um, we've been looking, we've been, I've been admiring her hardcover of the collected stories. Um, and thanks again to Hugh Stimson um, right there in the control booth. 
thank goodness there's some control around here. Hey, somebody's <laughs> got to have it. And, and I should say, um, just a shout out for Fridays at three o'clock. Um, Kristen's show, Tight Pants, is amazing. We can we're getting where it's kind of drifting in under the door here, and oh, that's it's what also that is. yes. <laughs> so Tight Pants on Fridays <laughs> at three. Um, okay, so but back but back to the writing. I actually, you know, because you're the the biography. In the in the book, Amy is so short. Mm-hmm. I wanted to read what Rick Moody because he wrote a really oh. a really nice introduction. That was so lovely of him to do that. Yeah, nice isn't even the word, no, is it? That's no. that's it's, it's an un, yeah. Um, so I just want to to sort of um, fill in because there's sure. things that, and you just you just won the Ria um, sh- award the Rhea for the award. for Ria award for oh. short the short story mm-hmm. making significant contributions. Um, it, it must be I, I don't know. This is probably not something you can talk about, but to to mm-hmm. feel like because I feel I think the awards that you I saw in your award box mm-hmm. on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I shouldn't admit to that, but um, well, they are many and they are big, and they pro- so you probably at some point you don't list them anymore. But I wonder. Oh, I list them. The, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if some of like if they mean if I mean it, it seems natural that some of them must mean more to you than than others because when they arrive at different points in in your working life or um, it's it's not a matter of of more but but different things as you said they arrive at different times and um, each entirely welcome and um, and I think reflecting something something other it was nice it was more than nice that the collected itself the collected uh volume got several things several nods from different places that it was just very um well i was gonna say reassuring that's not right not reassuring but um that yeah, was just terrific it's sort of like you're you're, you're really meant to be doing this mm-hmm, and, and even mm-hmm. if you know it and in mm-hmm. in, in tear in your side that's a good way to put it yeah yeah that well, others know it too. <laughs> oh boy! You know what? Let's. I'll just read this. Okay. I'll read what Rick Moody said um, on Amy Hempel. It's all about the sentences. It's about the way the sentences move in the paragraphs. It's about rhythm. It's about ambiguity. It's about the way emotion in difficult circumstances gets captured in language. It's about instance of consciousness. It's about besieged consciousness. It's about love trouble. It's about death. It's about suicide. It's about the body. It's about skepticism. It's against sentimentality. It's against cheap sentiment. It's about regret. It's about survival. It's about the sentences used to enact and defend survival. Pretty darn nice. Yeah. 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 But but it, it is um, about sentences. I mean, he's, he's right because that's <laughs> the way I write. And that's why I started writing and I will always write at the sentence level, um, not thinking, oh, here's a great idea for a story. It's, oh, here's a sentence well, that's, I'm proud of. Here's that's a sentence you- I like. That's what you even said about Tumble Home, then, that right. sentence. That right, key, and right. And you knew f- from that as the key. Right. I trust the sentence. 
And and what else is because when when you say it's about the sentence level, and mm-hmm. I know even teaching at, at introduction essay mm-hmm. classes mm-hmm. here, it's you say that, and there's this whole weighted meaning behind that, and it's almost like this. Um, as if you, it would be your manifesto in some ways, uh-huh. but but it's hard. Like, what what does it? Can you, what what does it exactly mean? Because it's getting to something when you said you trust, it, right? But I what? mean, I trust that it sounds simplistic, but I trust that if I write one good sentence, and then write another one and another one and another one, I'll eventually get to a story. It'll add up, and I think people. I mean, that seems so obvious to me, but people think often it's odd that you must have an idea for a story or uh, some wonderful character at the beginning that makes you want to write, uh, and it's, that's not how it happens. I'll have a, a sentence that makes me want to write a story. And then it seems like whatever else is um, what makes up a, a life or your life mm-hmm. It seems like that's what then is called upon, like that whatever is driving like the the inner workings of of the mind at that mm-hmm. time is what then becomes whatever characters on the right. And I thought that if I ever write a memoir, which I won't, it would have to be titled "Sentenced." <laughs> so now that's a you won't. That's <laughs> a really good one. Um, <laughs> so why? But why so adamant? I've written maybe two personal essays, which is a form I love to read. I love to read them. Uh, They were very, very difficult for me to write because, guess what? It's not fiction. You can't hide in the sense behind it. You're supposedly telling the truth about yourself in ways that, and and I felt very vulnerable doing that. So... um, I, I was recently teaching a, a well-known essay by Joanne Beard, who, who, who does these better than almost anybody, The Fourth State of Matter, um, from her book, The Voice of My Youth. And that's an essay I'd urge everyone listening to this uh, to go read The Fourth State of Matter. And I think it, it's one of those pieces of writing that I feel you can learn everything you'd need to know by reading this personal essay. What are the things you need to know then? <laughs> well, uh, Gordon Lish used to talk about three things he felt you needed in a story. Uh, obsession, nerve, and ground worth reporting on. Something worth your time in the first place. And um, well, Joanne has that. Joanne certainly has that. And um, and that's really still what I'm looking for when I read or in students' work or otherwise. Um, uh, an answer to that simple question: Why are you telling me this? It's so simple. It's isn't so simple, it? and so often s- not considered. Exactly. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> <laughs> Even after you say that exact same question directly, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the person like, "What do you mean?" Yeah, isn't it obvious? Oh, and I'm talking about published work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh shoot! That just laughing at that just actually made my. I had a a, a one of my uh, risky questions queued up. No, not risky at all. Oh, but good. oh, the fourth state of matter. What was it? 
wind back some Hetzel. Mm. Oh no, I just did it. I just addressed myself in the third person, Amy. Uh oh. Help, help Uh-oh. me. Uh oh. Forced What was it? What was it? <laughs> it's too bad we don't edit this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ambiguity. An interview should be imperfect, just like life, right? Yes. Yes. There are imperfections. I really like you. You're cheating. You're a good egg. (laughs) You are such a good egg. So are you. (laughs) I remembered what the question was now. But I do want to talk about ambiguity if we can Mm -hmm. squeeze it in too. But it was so were these assignments like what made you write the personal essay if it was something that you were resisting or hated? Yeah, not not assignment so much as um, commissioned uh, pieces, solicited essays for anthologies. God, they were hard. Um, I so envy the people who can just turn something over just really, really quickly. And, oh, they're really, really hard. Um, ultimately, I was pleased with them. But, uh, geez, I don't, I don't think I'd really do another one. And so you said yes, and then it, then it became something to fulfill. Mm-hmm. 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 But you never know, right? Because ne- how can you ever know which way your obsession, like one of the first, Gordon Lish's first things, will, will take you? And it could, yes. that could. And actually, I just am rem- remembering this right right now. The um, One of these personal essays appeared in the anthology, and, and, and some people saw it and said, uh, you know, you should, you should write a story. Uh, in this form or something in this form and I thought huh so uh, hard to explain oh, really right. but but it no like a le- like you would a letter like a story it, as a it letter pointed, or... not even as a letter but it just pointed a way to a way to write a story that I hadn't thought of right I thought oh you know you're right you're right so I, I got something useful from it but it was a long way to go <laughs> And a lot of um, a different sort of vulnerability mm. than you have in your your fiction because yeah, you're because, still vulnerable. There's no way around that. But yes, you're right. But ultimately, the only thing I think that would embarrass me in a story would be bad writing, not anything I might divulge about you know myself. It's just if it if it was written badly, that would be embarrassing. And seemingly around forever. And, <laughs> but don't yeah. worry, you always have in the cemetery where Al Jolson is buried, which will be out there competing. There we go. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ambiguity. Just if if we have if we have we have a little uh, time. What because what is that actually? I mean, when you say. When when you have ambiguity in your short stories, I mean mm-hmm. it's not something you're conscious of, is it? It's something that where there's multiple levels working. How is that? How? Is that be, because I just thought it was interesting that 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 was another part that Rick Moody mm. um, called upon. Well, I mean, how many experiences in your life are this way or that way? They are this way and that way. You know, there are many sides to. What we do. I wish we had gestures going out over there. <laughs> on one hand, <laughs> on the other hand, um, but but because isn't it linked to mystery too? It is linked to mystery, and I not only like more mystery in a story than some readers, but as a writing teacher, I'm always promoting it. Um, don't tell me that right away or ever. So much better. 
if I don't know this? Um, and um, I used to teach at conferences sometimes with Tim O'Brien, who had a, a kind of mantra in these workshops, which was, stories are not explanations. And so useful to remember that. Mystery is good. What's your mantra? Mm, I wish I had a snappy answer for that. I don't know that I have anything that occurs with regu- you know, regularity. Um, Look to the dogs? <laughs> it would probably involve dogs. It probably would. Uh, it would. Or perhaps Jesus is waiting would be the... Um, no, I don't know. I don't know. Um, nothing seems to help while you're doing it, while you're writing. That's beautiful. <laughs> Just to even know that, Amy Hempel, thank you so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, you've been listening uh, to Amy Hempel today on Living Writers. Um, thanks again to Hugh Stimson for engineering. Um, thanks for listening, Ann Arbor, and for streaming wherever you are. Amy Hempel, The Collected Stories. You can go out and get it all in one big bundle. And Amy's got new work on the deck on deck soon. Um, thanks again. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, June 20th, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Doreen Marina. Coming up, big broadcasting companies try to block the FCC's new advertising transparency policy. The Rio Plus 20 conference opens in Brazil. World leaders must send a signal that they are committed to a sustainable future. We'll look at the corporate influence on UN development policy and visit one local community who is fighting for a clean environment. Those stories and more coming up after this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. After this weekend's elections and two